Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast with Simon Cocking, Senior Editor. I'll be doing a series of interviews with people at the cutting edge of green tech, clean tech, and anything else that we think is interesting and worth listening to for you guys, our listeners. Okay, so today, uh, continuing our theme of looking at people who are doing interesting and positive things uh, in the environmental aspects of the world, uh, we have finally managed to uh, pin down someone from Irish Seed Savers, which I'm delighted about because it's good in so many ways. So, uh, first of all, who am I talking to today? And maybe if you can just explain uh, what your role is with Irish Seed Savers. Okay, so thanks, Simon. My name is Jennifer McConnell. I am the general manager with Irish Seed Savers Association, and we're a 20 acre organic farm based in East Clare. And our main focus is to protect, conserve, and make available heritage open pollinated vegetable seeds and also protect Ireland's apple tree collection. Perfect. Um, I guess, for example, with the apples, um, I know that we were up at Sonata once and they had some that are 150 years old. How many different types of apple trees do you have and um, how old are some of them? So basically, uh, with the collections that we have, both seed and the fruit trees, is the, there's a difference between something that would be native to Ireland and then something that is heritage, which would basically be something that has come from abroad and has adapted to our environment over many decades. With regard to the apple tree collection, we have over 180 varieties that would be native and heritage to Ireland. And so some of them may have originally come from the UK. Some of them may have come from France. Um, in terms of uh, timelines, really, that's something that we've been doing a lot of work on is to gather the history of the trees. So when were they first recorded in Ireland? When did they first come into our collection? We as an organization have been uh, in existence for nearly 30 years. So next year is our 30th anniversary. And so we've been doing a lot of work with various palmologists who would be apple experts and uh, I suppose old orchards around the country as well. So with some of them, we don't actually know how old they, they are, but we know that they've been within kind of Irish food culture for many, many years. Okay, cool. Um, so if if I'm right, uh, were apples originally from Kazakhstan? And if they were from somewhere else, um, how suited, how, how many of the types of apples that exist in Ireland do you have? And, and how easy is it to grow them all where you are? So it's a mix of things. So yes, they uh, apples originated in what is now known as Kazakhstan. So I suppose when many, many years ago, when all of the continents were smushed together in a panagia, um, there was various forms of biodiversity spread all along that, uh, that landmass. And uh -huh. then as the continents began to form, different forms of biodiversity kind of went into different uh, continental plates. And so we have like apple trees the same way New Zealand has apple trees, they've apple trees in Israel, you know, so that there's if you look at the apples that are available in the supermarkets, they've actually come from all over the world. Yeah. With regard to the Irish apple collection, we're based in East Clare, which is an incredibly wet part of the country. So our site itself, it's not the optimum conditions for growing um, food or apples. And yet we have such an abundance of the apple tree collection. So we would make available the probably about 50 varieties every year. We would actually grow them both as bench grafting, which would be potted trees or as bare roots, which would be budded. Um, and then basically it means that we are protecting these collections by making them available for others to grow in their gardens, their farms and their communities. So really part of our research as well is understanding how the various seeds and trees grow around the country. Because again, if we're only looking at our site, which is in Caparo and Scarif, if there was any disease or insect or pest that would affect the collections, 
and mm-hmm. we weren't growing them elsewhere, that would wipe out the collection. So the whole purpose of conservation is about protecting these collections for now and for future generations. So through our work, we really want to connect more people to be able to replicate our work in their own communities as well. Yeah, and so, I mean, and I've, I've heard about that, that there are seed banks in various places. Um, I mean, and even in one uh, book we just reviewed, even during World War II, uh, during Stalingrad, the uh, scientists, several of them starved to death, but, but to keep the various seeds preserved. So um, do, do you work with other seed collections around the world? How, how does that work? So it's actually an interesting reference that you've made there. So that that was Vavilov, who was considered yes. as the grandfather of, of seed conservation. And okay. basically he had traveled around the world and had got uh, the various accessions of seeds and brought them together into um, the seed bank that he was running there in Russia or what is now known Russia. And basically... Uh, what had happened is, so Vavilov Institute, I think, is about 200 years old or maybe 201 years old now. And like in Ireland, we didn't actually have a seed bank. Our seed service was the first seed bank that was created. And then we now work in partnership with the Department of Agriculture to protect the native collections of food seed. So what what had happened many years ago was that seed saving was a natural part of agricultural practice. So traditional agricultural practice you know, farmers would grow and they would uh, farm livestock, but they would grow the food to feed the livestock as well. So you'd have an abundance of kale that might have been used for um, animal feed. Uh-huh. But then through, I suppose, industrial development and then the wider availability of commercial crops, that actually took out the need for farmers to actually grow and save their own seed. So we're trying to bring that now back. There was a man many years ago called Barney uh, Crombie, and he had the foresight to actually send seeds that had been grown in Ireland and to send them to different seed banks around the world for safekeeping. One of them was one that was called the Bon Onion, which is spelled B-U-A-N. And he actually sent them over to the Vavilov Institute in Russia for safekeeping. So when Irish Seed Savers set up in 1991, we started to actually contact all the different seed banks around the world to see did they have Irish seeds in their stocks. And with Vavilov, they had the Bon Onion. So we actually got the seed repatriated back to Ireland. And we actually still have the original packet with the Russian writing on it with some of the original seed. But what we have done since then is actually we grow those seeds, we multiply them so that we're building up the stock and collection so that we then are ensuring that they're not threatened uh, to go um, out of existence. And so what we also do is over the years, we've developed a seed guardian network. So we have various experienced growers that also grow seed for us. And that helps protect the collection. So we're not just reliant on the site, as I mentioned earlier, but that we know that they can actually grow in different microclimates around the country and therefore protect the collections going forward. We have received um, seed from various seed banks around the world and from various seed associations. So we would have seed that's come from um, America, from Canada, from Russia, from Japan. We've seed that's come from Kenya. We've also had uh, seed that may have been brought over. So we were given seed some years ago by a Syrian refugee, uh, which was a courgette. And basically uh, they brought the seed over with them and gave us some. So we've started to grow that and now we make that available. And now we actually have Syrian refugees that have recently started getting involved in local community growing groups that are now growing that seed. So again, it's a way to reconnect people with the seed, whether it's repatriating wow. seed back to Ireland or keeping seed from other countries for other people. That's great. That's that's, that's very positive and very interesting. <laughs> and yes. 
I guess it shows how it's all connected. Um, uh, when we've interviewed uh, some some people who do bird watching, they have used uh, a lot of modern technology with database and tracking to help better correlate because birds migrate all over the world. And so similarly, it sounds with the seeds. So 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 ha, ha, has technology helped to improve cross-referencing of who has what and where? Like, I mean, that must have been very difficult when it was in a, Russia, a dusty Russian packet but previously. Well, I think the thing is that it's like, I suppose it's like any kind of library. There would be a recording system, so it would be easier to trace what's actually in the stock. Um, so I think once something is gathered, whether it was many years ago, I think there was always a system for recording what people had and what organizations had. So with regard to our own database, I mean, we've been tracking that for years, but we have only recently started to look at, we use um, an online private database called Airtable, and that is actually used by various seed organizations and various different uh, organizations would use it for different purposes. But it's given us an opportunity to really try and look at not only the varieties that we have, but the different accessions. So we could have one variety, but it has been grown over se like in several years by several different people. So we kind of have who's grown it when and then be able to track that. And it's a way also to try and track the different weather conditions at the time, you know, yeah. the different harvesting and the yield. In terms of connecting in with then seed uh, production and seed saving around the world, there isn't one overall database that does that, that we're involved with. But there would be, say, for example, you'd have the Svalbard um, Seed Bank, the World Seed Bank up in Norway. They would have different accessions of seed from nearly every country, I think, in the world. So, for example, if you look at um, like when war has been declared on countries, quite often one of the first things that will be destroyed are seed banks because then it removes a country's ability to feed itself. Okay. So you would find that there would have been, say, seed from now I may get I may get this a bit mixed up, but seeds that may have come from Iraq may have been repatriated to Afghanistan. Then the war was declared in Afghanistan and was moved then to Syria um, and Lebanon. And now things like you know, seed has be, been repatriated back to Lebanon. But yet Syria, which was a huge a huge focus on seed. Now it's like completely destroyed. So it's mm -hmm. about trying to protect the seed for when the country is ready to be able to take it back. Um, so the World Seed Bank would have its own database. We're part of a European network called uh, the European Coordination Let's Liberate Diversity. And in that, we are connected to about 11 or 12 other uh, European um, seed uh, associations. So again, there would be a way that we could all kind of connect in with each other to see how things are going. But there's also legislation that actually um, regulates the use of seed. So seed would probably be one of the most regulated um, items in the world. And again, it's it's all about industry and control and power. And then you have organizations that will try and monopolize that. And mm. then through, um, I suppose, through breeding or through patenting, actually try and remove people's rights to be able to grow their own food. Yeah, and that would be like the F1 type of seeds and the kind of things that were... Well, no, not really, no, because the F1, oh, okay. so, so uh, there's a difference. So when you're coming to things like, say, GMO, or when, when you're coming to things that are um, patented, it's the patent seed would be the problem, because it means then if you have an organization that has a seed that's patented, then when they're actually getting a farmer to grow it, if it basically cross-pollinates with another farmer's seed, they can basically say that, well, they now own the other farmer's seed as well. Whereas F1 is, it's basically a cross-pollination of seed to try and I suppose look at plant breeding. So plant breeding is very different from patenting um, seeds. So plant breeding is in many ways trying to perfect 
you know, the ideal type of, of crop, whether it's for its texture, its look, its taste. Um, and so the only problem with the F1 seed is that you could have, uh, you know, two two different types of, say, carrots and that you're cross-pollinating them to get the ideal carrot that you want, you know, because quite often there's the pressure on commercial growers to have what's called a DUS, which would be like distinct and uniform and stable so that the crop is the exact same for every type mm-hmm. of vegetable or fruit that's grown. Whereas when you have something like open pollinated, it's openly pollinated, but there isn't, you know, they will look similar, but they're not going to be exactly uniform. So you'll find that there is a greater demand for probably F1 because they're just looking at that crop that's coming from that seed. Whereas you can't really save the seed from that crop because you might then, if you grow on from the saved seed from an F1, you might get one element or you might get another or you might get something from kind of the grandparent line of that seed. Mm, But you're not going to get exactly what you've just saved from. So with the open pollinated, because it's true to the parent type, you'll be able to save the seed again and again. But one thing that's that's important to note is that to ensure that you're protecting the genetic diversity, you actually have to select, you know, probably about 100 plants of maybe if you're, you know, if you're if a farmer or a commercial grower, you would be growing maybe a thousand plants and you would keep the best 100 and then you would grow them on for seed. So it's not like you grow you know, five plants and then you save the seed from that and then grow it again because there is the threat of inbreeding. So there's a lot of science behind the whole thing of seed growing and seed saving. And that's where we come into play is to try and educate more people about that so that they can then develop this in their own communities, farms and gardens, and then protect these collections and also make people less reliant on imported seed because over 95% of the food seed in this country is imported. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think that's that makes sense. And th- that leads on to what I wanted to ask, which is um, what, what tips would you have for people in terms of saving seeds and how long can se- save seeds uh, work for? So it depends on what um, it depends, I suppose, on what what seed or what crop that you're looking at. So something like, say, uh, parsnips would really only last a year and um, you don't get high germination from parsnip seed. Um, and then the same way with carrots, you know, you're, you're not going to get that long from them. But you might have something like, say, peas or beans that could last for years. And the same with brassicas. So your cabbages, your kales, they could last for many, many years. But the main thing is that when you're saving seed, it's also about how you actually store the seed. So you need to make sure that they are kept in cool, dark and dry conditions because the things that seed need to grow is oxygen and heat and moisture. And um, mm-hmm. so you really need to make sure that you are keeping seeds in very cool, dark, dry um, uh, climates as such. So whether you're keeping it in your fridge, whether you're keeping it in a Tupperware box, whether you're keeping it in a, you know, a tin, quite often people may save seed and then try to grow it and not have any success. And not, it might not necessarily be the seed that's the issue. It might just have been how it's stored. So there are various, like, I mean, there's various things online that you'll find yeah. in terms of how to save seed. We run seed saving workshops um, at our farm in Caparo. Uh, so people can go onto our website, which is irishseedsavers.ie. And we do have seed saving workshops that happen usually in the autumn. We are also just about to launch um, a community growing program. So for community gardening groups, we are looking to now every year to train five groups in how to actually grow and save seed so that they can develop their own seed collection. So when you're actually growing seed, it, it can take up to two years to do that. 
And it can take many, many years before you feel really comfortable and confident in actually your ability to grow and save seed. So we have seed uh, training that takes place with experienced growers, uh, which is a one year program. Uh, that's a seed, to seed training that people can book through NOTS, which is um, N-O-T-S.ie. Um, or they can come onto the community growing program or they can come for the one day workshop. And we also go to groups around the country. Obviously, with COVID, that has restricted our ability to do that. But hopefully um, in the future, we'll be able to actually go and actually give trainings firsthand to communities in their own kind of locations. Uh huh. Yep, uh, that sounds great. And and like you say, so so I was looking at your website and similarly, you know, it, it looks like you're, you're both active and yet also having to adapt. So uh, therefore, I'm wondering, how has 2020 been? I mean, because things like Gardeners World have done really well. And even, you know, when we went to order some seeds, uh, many, many places were maxed out. So so has it been um, an interesting year or how, how has the year been for you guys? Like, are, have you given out more seed than you thought you would? Yes. So, so 2020, even before COVID happened, the demand for our seed was already increasing. So I think with people connecting more in with climate change and trying to actually get involved in what they can do, what part they can play to reduce mm-hmm. carbon footprint, to reduce food miles is also important to reduce seed miles. So from where are you getting your seed? Where has it actually been grown? And again, seed that's been grown in other countries is perfectly fine, but it's suitable to the country in which it was grown. It's not necessarily suitable for growing here as a crop. Um, So what we found is that even in January and February, we had an uptake in the seeds compared to previous years. Then March happened and we see we have a supporter program as well. So people will sign up to be an annual supporter of our work. And they pay a fee. And with that, then they get the seed catalogue before it's available to the general public. They get access to free seeds. They get discounts on the apple trees, discounts on our workshops and free entry to our farm. So the thing is that we were seeing already an increase in the number of people signing up to become supporters. But between December and the end of March is when our supporters are allowed to order their seeds. And then from April onwards, then um, people will just get access to it on our website. So what happened was in March, we had a 225% increase in the demand for seeds online. And that wasn't including the demand for seeds through our supporters and also the increase in people becoming supporters. So and then even going to show that throughout the year, people are still buying seed in preparation for next year. So there's still that element of panic that people want to get seeds just in case they're not available next year. One of the things that we did find, though, was that people were contacting us going, when is the next lot of seed coming in? So it really highlighted to us that people don't understand that we actually grow the seed. We don't buy in seed from elsewhere. Yeah. Um, And so I suppose there's always an assumption that seed will just come from somewhere else. Whereas we're trying to actually get people to connect in with the need to actually grow seed here in Ireland. There isn't really, there isn't much of a, a seed production as such in Ireland because people will assume that it's too cold, it's too damp, it's too wet. But actually, you want to have seed growing in Ireland so that it adapts to the ever-changing yeah. environment over the years. Um, even with regard to demand for apple trees, we would make our apple trees available from the 1st of October each year. And what would normally have sold within three months sold out in four days. Oh, wow. OK. <laughs> yeah, so, again, people are getting very into their gardens, which is brilliant. We're really pleased to see that. But also people are getting much more conscious about supporting locally. 
and also to understand from where their food comes and actually to take more of a, I suppose, a, a first-hand approach in getting involved in growing food and actually tending to the local biodiversity as well. So we have seen a huge increase and a huge uh, demand for our work, which is brilliant. We also unfortunately had to cancel nearly all of our education programs. So that was unfortunate because it's the very time that you want to be doing much more education. Now, thankfully, there were a lot of good um, growing online programs. So we didn't need to be doing that because there's no point, you know, adding on to it when there's already great work yeah. that's been done elsewhere. But what we do need to look at now is about connecting more people about growing seed and saving seed. So they're the kind of things that we'll be looking at over the next few years. And we, we would basically just ask people is that when they're getting seed to be mindful about from where they're getting their seed. Also to look at open pollinated seed, because that's really the opportunity to then grow and save your own seed. Um, and also to connect in with us to learn more about the work that we're doing and how can people engage with that and bring that into their communities so that they're developing their own community resilience rather than expecting others to provide seed and food for, for them, because so much is imported. Yeah, look, I mean, and I think you touched on a lot of things in terms of people's desire to be more self-resilient and more, you know, I, th I think I think once you face the possibility that you might not be able to go to the supermarket or there might not be everything in the supermarket you want, then I, th I think people really see the more you can have at home, then the, the you know, you're at least, in, you, know, you might not be self-sufficient, but you can be more reliant. Um, yes. you, you, so, so, I mean, I guess my final question, and you've definitely touched on it, is, is then... Um, like obviously climate change is a big challenge and therefore the kind of things that you're doing and advocating are very positive so if if the trends that you saw this year continued what 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 might good look like uh, in a year or two going forwards for ireland um, well, I think there's, there's several factors that have come into play really this year. One is obviously climate change. Another one then was COVID. And the third is Brexit, because there's now been the fact that a lot of our food and our food seed comes either from or through the UK. And that's actually, uh, in some ways, it's been marketed as if everything is going to be blocked from January 1st. So again, people are now looking to locally where they can get food, they can get seed to grow their own food. But actually, it's just about ensuring that whatever seed or food that you get, like the, with the seed or any plant material, it has to have a plant passport. So, you know, mm, various yeah. regulations yeah. are being put in place. So it's just for people to be aware of what the actual uh, procedures will be. I think 2021 may be a year of confusion as to what are the regulations with regard to food imports with regard to seed imports, you know, how can people get more involved? Uh, like, you know, even looking at with the beginning of COVID, that like one of the first things that was locked down were the allotments and people actually couldn't go to allotments and mm. grow their own food. So really we have to engage more with, I suppose, government policy to ensure that, you know, growing food is an essential need and we have to ensure that people are supported to be able to grow their own food, but also to support local growers local food producers, local food suppliers and things like restaurants as well to encourage, you know, that there's much more of a, a closed cycle in terms of not only making local food available, but supporting the people that can provide that food. So I really feel that the trends going really from here on in is about people connecting much more with local food production. And what we want to see then is to ensure that people have a greater understanding of the importance of seed in the food cycle, because without seed, there is no food. Very good. Look, uh, uh, thanks. I think it's been a pleasure to speak to you. And uh, uh, I, I think it's something that's super important. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely th things that something that people are more aware of. And um, 
I, hopefully then it will direct people to you and learn more about what you're doing. Yeah, that's great. And, and thank you so much for the opportunity. It's lovely to be able to talk to you and to actually connect in with your audience as well. So look forward to connecting further. We hope you enjoyed that podcast and we will be bringing you more across as diverse and interesting a range of stories as we can find. You're welcome to reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn or by email and give us any feedback and let us know what you'd like us to cover in the future. Thanks and keep listening.